Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. If you're looking for a new true crime podcast with a different point of view, have I got the perfect show for you. The Prosecutors. Each week, Alice and Brett bring their own unique perspective as full-time prosecutors to the most famous and debated true crime mysteries. Whether it's Mara Murray, Scott Peterson, or Elisa Lamb, Alice and Brett do some deep dives to bring you details that you probably won't hear anywhere else. But it's not just criminal cases that they cover. They bring that same expertise and approach that they've learned as prosecutors to classic mysteries like the Diet Love Pass or the ghost ship Mary Celeste. And you won't just hear the stories. Alice and Brett talk you through the legal problems lurking behind every case, breaking down the complexities of the criminal justice system with humor and a personal touch without ever losing sight of the pursuit of justice, both for the victims and the accused. Murder, mayhem, disappearances, you name it. If it's true crime, Alice and Brett are on the case. Check out The Prosecutors wherever you listen to podcasts today. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Cup of murder. Some people are born into a life of crime, a life of violence, and a life of danger. On May 24th, 1950, a man was born who would go on to become the Kansas City Strangler, a man who came from a long line of dangerous men and women. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Lorenzo Jerome Gilliard Jr., born May 24, 1950, in Kansas City, lived a childhood plagued with dysfunction and became the latest in a long line of Gilliards with a record. His father was convicted of rape in 1970, his brother of drug-related murder in 1989, and his sister murdered a customer in 1983, earning her a 10-year sentence. So it was no surprise when he went from childhood bullying to beating women, to weapons charges, and finally to convicted child molester after raping the 13-year-old daughter of a friend. All the while, hopping in and out of jail, getting married at the age of 18, and fathering 11 children with several different wives and mistresses. Records also show that from 1969 to 1974, Lorenzo was a suspect in at least five different rapes, but for one reason or another, was never convicted. Unfortunately for the women of Kansas City, this left a dangerous man free to wander the city. A man who, from 1977 to 1993, raped and murdered at least 13 women and girls. A man called the Kansas City Strangler. The first of many incidents that can be definitively tied to Lorenzo Gilliard was the 1979 kidnapping of a local couple. The woman was raped while her boyfriend was held hostage at gunpoint. Eventually able to escape with their lives, the boyfriend picked Lorenzo out of a police lineup and the hairs on the victims matched, but a jury acquitted him of rape in September of 1980. 
That same year, he was convicted of the aggravated assault of his ex-wife after pistol whipping her and breaking the front of her teeth in one attack and stabbing her with an ice pick in the second. He was convicted of the assault, but mainly served probation. The first to lose her life at the hands of this violent monster was a 15-year-old girl named Gwendolyn Kazeen, who was found on January 23rd, 1980. Less than a year later, Lorenzo received his first sentence at a Missouri state prison, but it was not for Gwendolyn's murder. No, it was a four-year sentence for second-degree burglary that did keep him off the streets, but for just under a year. Eight days after his May 1982 release, the body of 17-year-old Margaret J. Miller was found. Following a complaint from Wyandotte County in 1983, Lorenzo went back behind bars for a bit after making a bomb threat. But on January 10, 1983, he was officially released. Returning to freedom yet again, Lorenzo went to work with his father at Deffenbaugh Disposal Services, where he was described as a hard worker, easy-tempered, and respectful of all his peers. If only he could have extended that same respect and kindness to his victims. On March 14, 1986, the body of 34-year-old Catherine M. Barry was found, and with her discovery came the rapid succession of bodies, almost all sex workers, found unceremoniously dumped in secluded areas, shoeless, with paper towels stuffed in their mouths, and ligature marks around their necks. There was 23-year-old Naomi Kelly, found August 16, 1986. Debbie Blevins, 36 years old, found November 27, 1986. And Ann Barnes, also 36, and found on April 17, 1987. Kelly A. Ford, who was just 20 years old when she was found on June 9, 1987. 19-year-old Angela M. Mayhew, who was found on September 12, 1987. Sheila Ingold, 36, who was found on November 3, 1987, and whose murder Lorenzo was named a suspect in, but despite giving blood samples willingly in 1987, was never charged. On December 19, 1987, 30-year-old Carmeline R. Hibbs was found dead, and once again, Lorenzo Gilliard was a name on her suspect list, though no further action was taken. Not long after Carmeline was found dead, Lorenzo was helping a neighbor load up a bicycle into her car, and to thank him for his help, offered to make him an omelet for dinner in his home. After they consumed three or four glasses of wine together, that neighborly facade started to fade, and Lorenzo reached across the table to try and disrobe the young woman. She, of course, recoiled at his demands to see her breasts, and soon, Lorenzo had her lying on a bed, straddling her and saying he was going to kill himself, with a knife placed on his own throat and then the neighbor's. Eventually, he let the woman leave and she immediately called the police. He was charged with forcible sodomy, sexual abuse, and assault, all of which he pled guilty to on October 30th, 1989, except the sodomy charge. The victim agreed to a plea bargain in an effort to save her own mental health from being up for jury debate and because she did not want to admit to drinking with her attacker beforehand. He was placed on parole for three years, and on January 11, 1993, the body of 29-year-old Connie Luther was found. Other victims of the Kansas City Strangler include 26-year-old Helga Kruger, 21-year-old Paula Beverly Davis, and an unnamed 23-year-old victim. In September of 1995, Lorenzo began stalking a female neighbor, 
making unwanted advances and lewd gestures for months. She finally filed for an order of protection in July of 1996 and was forced to move out of town. But when she did, she once again put Lorenzo's name in the system. A system that in 2001, a Kansas City police detective was starting to use to try and reinvestigate the unsolved Kansas City Strangler killings. Mike Luster looked into the deaths of two women who were linked by DNA and started to compile a list of all of the similar victims. As he did so, he worked closely with a crime lab who tested 75 samples from potential victims and eventually not only linked all 12 victims together, but in 2004, linked them to a suspect, Lorenzo Jerome Gilliard Jr., a man who provided a blood sample in the case of Sheila Ingold and whose sample had sat in an evidence freezer for more than 15 years. Lorenzo was placed under surveillance on April 12, 2004, and during the five days they observed him, did nothing that raised any red flags. He went to work early, came home, and spent the rest of his evening inside of his home. But as they continued to tail him, they started to suspect that he knew he was being followed. Realizing they needed to act fast, they walked into a Denny's restaurant on April 16, 2004, and calmly asked him to join them at the station. He obliged and, the next day, charged him with 10 counts of first-degree murder and two counts of capital murder. Finally, after years of wondering, the families of the murdered women were getting their answers. His trial began with Lorenzo pleading not guilty to seven first-degree murder charges and the prosecution focusing mainly on the DNA evidence they had against him. It ended with him being convicted on March 16, 2007 of six of those counts and sentenced to life in prison without parole, which, to this day, he is serving at the Western Missouri Correctional Center. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on May 25th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.